Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Revolution Recap. First week of July, as the Revolution are coming off a three to two victory over DC United, uh, perhaps not the best performance from the Revolution, but at the end of the day, they got the three points. Um, they were ahead in this one early, and then they gave up a equalizing goal in the first half, only to take the lead late through Teal Bunbury in the first half to make it two to one. Uh, then in the second half, they conceded a penalty kick. Um, which, again, saw the Revolution tied 2-2 in the 73rd minute, only for five minutes later to get a penalty kick of their own that Pania scored, gave the Revolution a 3-2 win, then they went on to, to win the game. Pania also had the, the opener, we should mention, in the 18th minute. Uh, but, again, three points for the Revolution, but they were playing the worst team in the league and you know, probably didn't have the, the most clean performance, uh, as was recognized by Brad Friedel in some of his comments at halftime, um, who wasn't too happy and made two subs. Uh, at the break. Uh, but with that, let's get into this game. Uh, joining me today is Greg Johnstone. We're, we're down a couple men today for, from the show, so we'll probably be a bit briefer than usual. I think the, uh, the heat got to a few people. Um, but Greg was, was good enough to join us today. So Greg, what were your takeaways from this game? Again, three points for the revolution, but some sloppy play. Yeah, uh, I'd say that First, I, I think I want to kind of touch upon what you mentioned in the intro, which is that uh, Christian Pena had another uh, fantastic game. Uh, I don't really need to go into much to it because every Revolution fan knows how great Christian Pena is. But uh, it seems like when Diego Fagundes has a bit of an off game, which we saw yesterday, I know Fagundes had an assist, but uh, you know Fagundes didn't seem to have the impact that uh, we kind of expect. Uh, we see week in and week out. And uh, Christian Pena really, really picked up uh, where Diego left off. Uh, two goals, a really, really great penalty kick. Uh, yeah, PK there uh, to eventually win the game. Uh, he, he certainly was a game changer and, and kind of took over. And um, I think they mentioned on the broadcast last night he's made five MLS teams of the week. Uh, that might go up to six uh, with his brace yesterday. So uh, a really, really strong performance from Pena. And uh, I, I think just week in and week out, I'm really uh, beginning to ad- admire his performances. And hopefully... Uh, they make that move permanent. I don't see why the revolution wouldn't. Um, I actually have a second takeaway too, and it also kind of ties into what you mentioned in the uh, intro- introduction. Um, it seems like Brad Friedel is getting a little bit annoyed with this team. Um, I know he had a very stern uh, kind of talking to and, and uh, very, very blunt in his halftime comments uh, over the broadcast. Uh, he made similar comments in San Jose, uh, which was another game they probably should have won. And he wasn't very happy with taking a point from Chicago. Uh, and I know that was two weeks ago, but that's three, three straight games where Brad Friedel seems to feel that the Revs are leaving things on the field. Um, and, you know, I know they took away three points, but a game at home, you're well rested uh, against DC, who's at the bottom of the table in the Eastern Conference, uh, and DC really <laughs> seemed to be um, not a, not of great quality. I don't I don't really know what's happened to DC in recent years, but they did not seem to be a very very strong side. They only had uh, they they had 13 shots, but eight of them came from set pieces. Uh, they really didn't have a lot of uh, offense, and the Revs conceded two goals. So uh, I, I think the the Revolution, even though they got three points and it was a bit sloppy, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brad Friedel make some changes in the future, some lineup changes, because he, he seems to be getting uh, kind of crankier, I'll, I'll say, with um, the performances of late. 
Yeah, and I thought in this game in particular, the offense, um, you mentioned Fagundes. I didn't think he had the best game. But in general, I thought the offense looked dangerous from the Revolution. Um, but defensively, as we've been you know saying frequently this season, uh, there were just too many holes there. And, and on turnovers, the team looked very, very vulnerable to the counterattack. You know, it can't be said enough that this is not a good DC United team. Um, they're about to get better. Uh, we should note that they did complete the signing of Wayne Rooney this past week, so he'll he'll be joining the team. wasn't there for this game, um, but but they've been a team that has just th- throughout the season struggled mightily. Part of that's that they've only played two home games, but you know on the road they've played uh, eleven games to this point. They've only won one of them, tied three, lost seven. Um, so this was a game that you went into knowing that the Revolution should come out of it with three points, particularly at home. Um, and you know again, I don't I don't think the performance was what Brad Friedel wanted, and you saw that with the the two subs at halftime. Um, you know Zahibo, uh, who was making his first start in a while, and, and Namath, um, who had been getting in the starting lineup more regularly recently, and actually had an assist in this game. Uh, I actually thought Namath had a pretty good first half, all things considered. Um, you know, perhaps Friedel wasn't happy with you know his ability to press, but offensively, I thought he was you know adding a bit to the offense, winning some some balls in the air, and uh, playing some smart passes on the ground. Were you surprised by those two subs, Greg? Yeah, I wasn't totally. I mean, Zahibo didn't really surprise me that much. This was Zahibo's first start in I think four games, um, and so it wasn't a huge surprise to see Kellen Rowe come on. Um, you know, Kellen Rowe is also a pretty quality player. Where uh, you know he he. he Gives you another playmaker in the midfield, and even though Rowe uh, didn't didn't put one in the back of the net, uh, he he certainly had his moments yesterday. So I, I wasn't totally surprised seeing Zahibo come off, but uh, you know we've talked in recent weeks about Christian Namath and how he's uh, starting to gel a little bit more with the offense. He had a really really nice uh, outlet pass uh, to uh, Fagundes that set up that first goal. Uh, Turner Turner punted the ball to him. Namath really played that well and connected it to, to Fagundes, really leading to that first goal. So uh, I, I was surprised to see Namath come off. Um, the only thing I can really think of is that uh, maybe he was tired, uh, maybe he was a little bit fatigued uh, in the heat, um, and and maybe you know the other thing too is Agudelo is also a quality player. Uh, you know Agudelo and Rowe are, are two quality players. So I mean I don't I don't necessarily think it was planned to come off at halftime, but I wouldn't be shocked if Rowe and Agudelo were planned to come on in, into the game in the 60th minute or maybe the 65th minute being the first two guys off the bench. And, you know, uh, maybe Friedel wasn't really happy with the energy in the midfield and decided to make those changes a little bit sooner just to uh, kind of wake people up. That, that, that's my speculation. But I, I can't point to anything that Namath did that really shocked me as uh, poor play. Yeah, and you mentioned you know the, the subs and the heat and everything. And that kind of takes me to, to my point and my question is, you know, I think the and we had this question by by Twitter um, from Mike Kennedy who asked about the first half versus DC and and why Brad Friedel was was so uh, pissed off about it um, and and to me I think that the problem was and he mentioned it too is that the they were a bit slow on the press um, that you know this this team struggled a bit to to really put the pressure on DC United and part of that was why DC was able to get breaks on the counterattack and and, and get through without too much trouble um, and why the Revolution's defense looked shaky particularly in the first half. Uh, but that brings me to, to my point and my question, which is, you know, maybe when it's this hot out, you can't rely on a high press for 90 minutes. Uh, we talked about it throughout the season. Now. Is this something the Revolution can do all year long? Um, and, you know, they've, they've done pretty well. Their fitness has been there. But when you get to a, a day where, you know, the weather is borderline 90, um, which admittedly you don't see much of in New England, you know, maybe the high press isn't your best bet. 
um, and you need to find something else to do. And I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if even to start this game that this the Revolution team was a bit slow and a bit sluggish because of how hot it was um, and trying to put that pressure on DC United. And I think that was a problem uh, in the first half. I think it was a problem in the second half. Um, I don't know what the Revolution do going forward if, if you know they have another extremely hot game. Uh, I'm trying to remember if they down the, down the road they have to play in Dallas or anything. I don't think that they do. Uh, I don't think they have anything like that left in their schedule. Um, so maybe this is a one-off fluky thing. But you know, the one thing I will say is that I, I don't think that you know there's too many times in 90 degree heat where you can actually high press a team for 90 minutes. And I think that was you know a problem not only throughout the game but you know even in the first half. And that's probably why they were a bit sluggish um, in that first half and why Brad Friedel was was so annoyed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, we've talked in the past that, you know, the high press is kind of their system and that's what they're relying on. And, um, you know, it, it is a bit of an issue that in this this heat that you're going to have some tired legs. Um, maybe in the first half, you're you're hoping those legs last a little bit longer, but uh, you're right. And, and it's a bit of a concern that, you know, the revs are, uh, you know, that relying on the high press. Um, but overall, I I know they have uh, Seattle coming in, and I know they have the LA Galaxy coming in the next two weeks. Uh, those are going to be much tougher teams that probably will take advantage of more mistakes. Um, hopefully this game against DC is more just of like a wake-up call because um, the Revs were a much, much better team than DC, and uh, to win on one goal is, is a bit concerning. Yeah, and, and what did you think about that um, penalty kick that they gave up? To me, that was kind of inexcusable play from Dielma because you know the guy I think it was Maddox had his back to goal, uh, and Dielma just ran through him there, and you know it was a blatant, clear penalty kick, but it wasn't that dangerous of a spot. Um, it, you know, from your captain especially, and, and, and Dielma, were you surprised to see that kind of reckless challenge in that situation? I'm not going to say I was surprised because I think Claude Dielma, we've learned in, in recent months, is uh, I'll say. A bit of an aggressive player. Uh, he goes up and uh, he takes some long shots. Uh, he's a little bit aggressive on tackles, um, and so I, I think that was a situation where, yeah, he he needs to hold up. It was a clear penalty and it was a bit of a dumb play. But I can't say I, I'm not surprised if there's one person on the team that if you, if you told me before the game, uh, someone's gonna <laughs> kind of run through a defender in the box when he's not in a dangerous position and concede a penalty. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have guessed it was Claude Dielna. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to say I was surprised, but you're absolutely right. It was an inexcusable play, uh, and you'd expect a veteran, the captain, to know to hold up on something like that and, and kind of ease off. And, you know, he, he had him defended. There was nowhere for Maddox to go on that play. So uh, the Revs got lucky getting getting a PK back on the other side. But uh, if this game ended 2-2, that's not a good look for Claude Dielna. Yeah, and that's absolutely true about it. We have seen reckless plays from in the past, so it's not out of character to to see that. But um, you, you, again, you hope that your captain playing that role can be a, a bit smarter in situations like that. Uh, on the other end, the uh, the penalty kick the Revolution got, uh, Farrell went down a bit is, easily, I thought, and he you know he's not a guy for that reputation, so perhaps he got the benefit of the doubt. Did you think that was a, a penalty kick? I go back and forth because my first inclination was yes. Uh, on replay, it looks like the guy is kind of falling down. He, he doesn't really drag Farrell down, it looks like. It looks like Farrell kind of stumbles over him. Um, so I, I think you're a better you, – you, you could probably tell better than me. I, I'm still leaning yes, but I certainly see the case for no. What do you think? I, I'm honestly like 50-50 on it. I, I was with you when I first saw it. It looked like a penalty kick, but the more I saw those replays in, in slow-mo, it, it seemed like he you know, led into the contact there. The guy was going down, and I, I'm not sure he couldn't have avoided him if he wanted to. Um, so I, 
I'm not sure what I think of that play, but I do think that Farrell benefited from being a guy that's not known for, for going down easily. Um, were this some other players, I'm not sure that the referee would have been as quick to, to blow the whistle. Uh, certainly there's guys in the league that have a reputation for going down easily. Um, and I, I think in certain situations, you know, if this had been somebody else, uh, we might not have seen it. But, you know, it was it was a good play from Farrell to get forward and get himself in that position and, uh, you know, challenge defenders to, to earn that penalty kick and, but certainly Pena did well putting it away. It reminded me a lot of in basketball when someone pump fakes and they get the defender up in the air and then they lean into the shot to draw the foul. Like they know where they're – they kind of see a a possibility of a foul coming and they kind of go into it. Like I, I kind of felt it was a little bit of that from Andrew Farrell. But, but as I say, live, I thought it was a clear penalty. So I, I didn't blame the referee one bit for, for calling for the spot. That looked like a 100% obvious penalty in, in real time. So well, and and smart too because as we discussed before, Farrell is not the uh, the most adept offensive player either. So you know, had he gotten by him, um, question you know how how well he would have done with the ball because it's not a situation that he's you know gets into too often and that we've seen him have too much success in. So I think it, w- it was the best of of all worlds for the Revolution there that they got that penalty kick and, and Farrell played it the way he did. Uh, but I did want to talk about one other point and kind of call myself out for earlier in the in the year that the one thing I talked a lot about with this team was you know I don't I didn't know who was going to be their double digit goal scorer they needed somebody to step up and and really take the the goal scoring uh prowess because I don't I don't think anyone on this team really had 10 goals in them uh, based on what we've seen the past few years but you know Bunbury now after this game is at 10 goals just 17 games into the season so he's you know proven me wrong you know shockingly he's been in the league since uh, 2010, I believe, and has never had a 10 goal season before now. So it's uh, you know big for him to to do that. Um, and then just uh, two goals back from him is Pania, who looks also on pace certainly to get 10 goals after having eight in 17 games. Um, and the Revolution right now have two guys in the top 10 goal scorers. Uh, Bunbury is currently tied tied for fourth with 10 goals, and Pania is just a couple spots behind him. Um, I believe in, tied for eighth with eight goals. So um, the Revolution could very well have two 10-goal ten, ten scores, uh, two 10-goal goal scores, and I think Fagundes has an outside shot of, of catching up too with with five on the year. So um, the Revolution have found a way to score, and, and credit to them for you know Bunbury stepping up and really taking hold of that you know single striker role, and Pania certainly for uh, stepping up on the wing and, and showing an ability to uh, create his own chances. Um, that was something that I con- was concerned with going into the year was, was who was going to score the goals, but... Um, they found a way. So good good for good for Bunbury and good for Pania. And I think it also there has to be credit that goes to Diego Fagundes too, because I know a lot of people were questioning how he'd adapt to that role as a ten. And I don't have an updated stat, but I know we were I was talking with Brian a few weeks ago and Brian had the stat that uh, Fagundes was third in the MLS in key passes. Um, you know, F- Fagundes you know, has has really started to thrive in that ten role, and he's uh, really become a bit of a catalyst for that that offense. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, there's been a lot of the offense has been a lot more consistent this year, uh, certainly with Fagundes, but also Christian Pena has been such a great addition of the Revolution. Uh, you know, he he really can finish uh, some shots and uh, can really come through when you need him to. Uh, he doesn't really I. I I can't really think of many bad shots he's taken. It seems like when he gets the ball at his feet, he's going to have something on frame. Uh, and the same goes for Teal Bunbury where, um, you know, he seems to be in the right spot, the right time and is always there to kind of finish plays. And I think a few weeks ago, I kind of compared him to Charlie's da- Charlie Davies when he had that 2014 season with the Rebs where um, it was almost like every single game you were kind of expecting him to get service in the box and he might only get one or two shots a game, but one of them is going to be in the back of the net. So, 
um, you know, credit all the way around to the revolution for uh, really kind of remaking this offense and, and really finding uh, consistent threats throughout the field. Yeah, we, I'm, you can't speak enough about what Diego Fagunas has done. Um, you know, even if this wasn't his best game, he's been such a key part to this team um, offensively with losing Lee Wynn and, and what he's been able to step up and do. Um, and I believe he's right now in uh, key passes per game. He is in fifth, but in total overall key passes, I believe he's he's third and up there with some great names like Frederico Iguain. Um So, you know, no, no slouch at all on what he's been able to do up there. Um, but with that, I did want to get to the all-star game selection because uh, that was a bit of a surprise, at least to me, that Wilfred Zahibo ended up being selected um, from the Revolution to be a part of the MLS All-Star game this year. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, he hasn't been playing, um, hasn't been starting too many games. He started this game, was taken off at halftime. Um, I was impressed with his play early in the season, but it seems like Brad Friedel hasn't been as impressed with his play of late because he's been seeing less and less minutes. Um, I think there's a few guys that you could have had a shout for an all-star appearance. We've just talked about them. Bunbury with his 10 goals, uh, Pania with his eight goals and five assists. Fagundes, certainly, um, all those guys had, had a shout. Um, so I, I was surprised personally. I didn't think any revolution player was going to make the all-star team just because we, you know, we know how this thing works. The, the starting lineup is voted for by fans and then there's selections by coach. Um, and you know, as the revolution have done well this year, I, I don't think there's been any players that have been, you know, completely standout guys you know, above and beyond some other great players in the league. So I was surprised to see anyone selected, but I was particularly surprised to see Zahibo selected. Greg, what did you think of that selection? Well, I, I was I was uh, mortified that Matt Turner did not make the team. I just want to throw that out there. I was really upset that Matt Turner did not get the call. I mean, that's uh, actually but, that's actually a good shout out as another guy that could have made it certainly with his play this year. <laughs> I, I think Teal Bunbury didn't have. It would have been nice to see him get the, the an All Star nod, but I, I think considering the forwards in the league, that he he never really had much of a chance to begin with. Um, and then I, I also think too that because the fans vote on things, they vote on the starting lineup. I, I think, you know, a lot of the revs were behind the ball in that. I know Atlanta United were very well represented. Um, they're the Kansas City Royals of the MLS, where a lot of their <laughs> players make it. I mean, uh, it's it's basically Atlanta United versus Juventus with some other players on the bench. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I that, that's kind of the downside to fan voting. Um, you know, but not to say that Atlanta United is not a bad team. I guess I, I shouldn't say that, but regardless, uh, I, I think if you were to name the top five valuable revs on the team, I don't think Zahibo is given, he wouldn't make that by far. Um, I, I was kind of surprised Christian Pania didn't make the team, to be honest with you. I thought that was probably the, uh, clear cut, uh, number one in terms of uh, most likely to make the uh, MLS all-star team. Um, I think Fagundes also too is, is probably a little bit deserving, but I didn't expect him to see him there. Um, Zahibo, he does have three goals and four assists. Uh, He has shown um, some flashes where he's, um, you know, I I think he had a multi-goal game against Montreal. Um, He he has had some really, really strong performances, but that defensive midfield for the Revs is so crowded. Um, I think, I think Isato was more deserving than Zahibo. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure why Zahibo made the team. I, I hate saying it like that, but um, I, I thought Fagundes and Pania are a lot more deserving. Um, and I, I guess maybe the, the MLS all-star team just needed a defensive midfielder and Zahibo fit the bill. But um, again, I, I was just a little bit con- confused of, because I, I don't think Zahibo is the best defensive midfielder on the revs. 
So uh, it was it was a bit surprised to me. And and I'd also say, too, that even though he doesn't get a lot of talk and we go weeks without mentioning him, too, I thought Jaleel Anibaba has had a fantastic season for the Rebs. Um, and I know he probably wasn't going to make the All-Star team, but I hope he got consideration because he's really had a strong season since being inserted into the lineup. Uh, he's played in pretty much every single game uh, since week one. Uh, and he's done really, really well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty shocked about Sahibo. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all that. And, you know, over the past few years, we haven't seen many Revolution players in the All-Star team. So even with the Revolution, you know, being in the top half of the league, I, I honestly wasn't expecting to see anybody um, this year. You, you know, I talk about the popularity contest of the fan vote and um, certainly Atlanta with, with how many fans they have and, and how enthusiastic they are about that team. It's not surprising to see so many of their guys in this lineup. Um, but, you know, there were several guys in this Revolution team that were deserving of making the All-Star team. And again, I think Zahibo was a good signing for this team. I think he's shown a lot of flashes, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that if you're going to put somebody from the Revolution in the All-Star game, it's him. So we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe he goes out there against Juventus on August 1st and uh, you know shocks the world and puts out a fantastic performance. I don't think he, you know, I think he's capable of, of playing really well. It's just a, a bizarre selection uh, in my yeah. mind. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't mean to say like I don't think he's a good player because I I like Zahibo a lot, but I'm just shocked that he's the guy that got the call. I, I don't he wasn't even in the starting lineup for the weeks leading up to this. So I know he's made an at least one MLS All Star Team of the Week or, or sorry MLS Team of the Week, but as I say, Pania's made five. Fagundes has made multiple appearances. Turner has made multiple appearances. Um, so and and when I saw his name. Uh, I actually made the mistake of thinking like, oh, I guess that's the Revolution's representative. And then I thought about it more and I was like, I thought MLS didn't have a representative for every team. Not like It's not like baseball where every team gets an all-star. You know what I mean? I, I kind of saw it and I was like, well, I guess they just needed a defensive midfielder. And they were like, well, we haven't picked anyone from the Revs yet. So let's pick Wilfred Zahibo. But I was like, oh, wait, they don't do that. They So I, I, I'm really puzzled by this one. Um, congratulations to him, though. It's great. I mean – first year in the league and he's an all-star that's wonderful i guess <laughs> yeah and he seems excited about it so that's good i, I mean I'll, I'll be looking forward to watching the atlanta united plus a few other guys versus juventus so we'll, we'll have that to, to to look forward to on august 1st um there were a couple other things i wanted to get to and actually i think all of them are covered by questions people asked us so greg do you want to jump into uh, the twitter questions that we got for for this week and uh, use that to, to talk about some of the things we plan to talk about anyways yeah so uh and, and i guess we should hop to the Big transfer rumor uh, for the revolution this week, but uh, Joe uh, wants our thoughts on the rumors of Boyan to the Rebs. Yeah, so for more background there, Frank DeLapa, the, the longtime revolution reporter for the Boston Globe, uh, who's also written for you know, several other places, um, mentioned on June 29th in a tweet that the revolution made a play for, for Boyan, but the salary was too high. Uh, etc., whatever that means. Um, it could still happen, but the deal is complicated, according to his sources. Um, and then last night, after the Revolution game at 11.09 p.m., Frank again tweeted about another update that uh, the potential move is still on and it's not about the money, he's told. So um, I, I guess that slightly contradicts what he was saying before about salary. So maybe he got new information um, that maybe salary is not the problem. Um, so before we get into that, though, I... I First of all, I think this would be a great move for the Revolution. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. He's, you know, Boyan is only actually 27. I was shocked to see that because he, he seemed to have peaked in his career when he was about 18 um, with Barcelona and was, you know, a really good player for them, one of the first guys off the bench for, for Barcelona, you know, on that team with Messi and, and so many other great players back then. Uh, and, and 
you know, after that, his career seemed to kind of fall off the map a bit. He played for Roma uh, for a little bit, didn't get that many minutes. Yeah, he was loaned out to Milan and again struggled for minutes. Went back to Barcelona and you know, got a loan to to the Dutch Eredivisie for Ajax and did decently there. And then he was in with Stoke since 2014. Um, and over the past few seasons, he's struggled for minutes there. So he's been loaned out to, to the Bundesliga and to La Liga on you know, some teams there that aren't the best. Um, so certainly his career has been on a bit of a downward tra- trajectory, but this was a guy that had so much promise early in his career and is only 27 years old. And, you know, as a, as a forward winger, um, could add a lot to this team. Certainly when we talked about uh, the Revolution's, you know, lack of a guy at right wing that could do what Pania does, you know, this could be the guy, uh, you know, with Namath playing really well and Aguadelo playing well. Um, when he's got minutes, maybe they don't need it as much, but I think this is a guy that could add a lot to the team. So that's an you know exciting and ambitious move for the Revolution to to be interested in him. Um, but that brings us to the question of what's actually holding up the the Revolution and making this not happen if it's not about the money, um, because certainly it wouldn't be surprising at all if it was about the money and salary was the issue. Um, so I would be interested if we you know can find out more details on that because I'm you know I'm not sure what it could be. Maybe he doesn't want to play on turf, um, but. You know, if it's not about the money, what, what's keeping the revolution from from signing this guy? And I, I have the same thoughts as you, and I agree with your assessment on him. First off, about I, I think he would be an amazing fit for the revolution. I think he'd add a lot to that right wing role. Um, I, I think he'd really kind of solidify that side of the field uh, and add another offensive threat to an offense that we already talked about how, how well they've been performing. Um, I, I think it'd be an amazing, amazing get if the revolution could get him. Um, in terms of what possibly could be holding it up, it, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, since the report kind of contradicts himself, maybe it's not complicated, quote unquote, but if it is, I mean, there is the turf issue. Maybe he doesn't want to play on turf. Maybe he wants his minutes limited on turf. Um, my thought is that maybe he kind of sees this as an opportunity to come to MLS, perform well, kind of show his worth since he's a, uh, free agent, uh, maybe he wants to show his worth to uh, European sides, and maybe the Revolution, since he's only 27, maybe the Revolution want him for two, three years. Whereas Bojan might, maybe he wants to come here, finish out the season in 2018 with the Revolution, and then maybe in the winter transfer window go back to Europe. Um, that's my random speculation that I'm basing off of absolutely no sources, so don't quote me on that. Um, but you know, he seems to have bounced around throughout Europe. Um, right now, he's uh, he played in La Liga last year. Nine of his 13 appearances were off the bench. He didn't get a lot of minutes. So his, his stock is at a very, very low, I'd say. He played for a uh, bottom 10 team in La Liga. Um, Stoke hasn't used him really since the 2015-2016 season. They, As you say, they loaned him out to um, the Bundesliga in 2016-2017 uh, as well. So um, I think maybe he just wants to boost his stock and maybe go back. That's my best guess to what's holding up things, and the Revs maybe want to hold him throughout his uh, late twenties. That's my guess. You know, I, I think that makes perfect sense. It you know, would be completely logical on his point if if what it was is that you know he again he wanted a short term contract with the opportunity to prove himself and then go back to Europe as a free agent. It's just crazy looking at this guy's stats over the years. That you know, in in two thousand seven oh eight when he was you know what, 17 and 18 years old, um, that he was a, a double-digit goal scorer for Barcelona. Uh, and now here he is at 27, you know, struggling to get minutes and struggling to score for, you know, one of the bottom-tier teams in the Liga and potentially looking at MLS. Um, it, it, it looks like a guy that does need a revival in his career and would like to go to MLS. And I think, I think it makes perfect sense from what you're saying that, um, 
you know, perhaps he wants a short-term contract in the revolution if they're going to make a big investment, uh, want more than that. So uh, that sounds logical to me. But again, we, you know, we don't know for sure. It'll be interesting to, to find out what is holding it up because I, I agree that this would be a really nice signing for the revolution. And if if he's only interested in a short term thing, that would make sense. Why salary is not an issue? Because if he, he he'll take the hit in salary if it's for a few months, and then he can go back to Europe and sign wherever. So that's kind of a little more logic behind my my speculation there. Um, but yeah, I think he, he had like an 84 rating on FIFA 11. You know, he he, he was uh, the first guy coming off the bench in our uh, whenever I play as. Uh, Barcelona back in FIFA 11 and I think he made a uh, an appearance for Spain at the age of 18 and 10 years later here he is he still has some years left too so it's a bit surprising to see him kind of go downhill but maybe the maybe he can turn around in New England you know if, if you could uh, here's my question for you if you could only sign him for half a season you get him to the end of this year would you do it yeah yeah wouldn't you no I, I think I absolutely would do it if you could sign him for you know this year for something that's not exorbitant amount of salary you know even if you're paying him a million bucks if the revolution are willing to, to fork it out over maybe it takes more than that but if you can sign him for half a season i think this is a guy that could come in and could have that impact that you know could put you over the top and make a team that you know might be the the fifth sixth seed in the playoffs into a team that actually could make a run in the playoffs and you know challenge to to make it to the mls cup so um i think you could i think it makes sense to do it if you have to do it for only half a year it'd be better to get it more than that obviously but you know he's also a guy that could be an ambassador for the club if you bring him over here for for six months and you know he has a good experience and you know things are done right that you know he's a guy that could sell the team to other players in the future so yeah, to me yes yes you would do it for six months if if that was the only option on the table i agree with everything you said and and the other thing too is that I think you could put him in the 10 role if you needed someone behind Fagundes too. So you could put him on the right wing and then if Fagundes, God forbid, got hurt, you know, we, we saw in the open cup game, you know, there's Zachary Haribo is not ready for the 10 spot. I don't know how they feel about Kellen Rowe in the 10 spot. Um, you'd think he'd be logically the next guy in line, but he hasn't been used there this season. So, you know, I, I think if you're exactly right, the Revs right now look like a playoff team. Uh, I know it's not secured yet, but the Revs look like they're buying this season and they're not selling. So if you have the chance to bring in this guy and it's a short-term investment, it's pretty low risk. I don't see a reason why not to do it. Uh, and again, obviously you want to keep him long-term uh, and kind of add to your team and, and use him as a building block. But, you know, if the, if he can come over and he pushes the Revs from, you know, the fifth seed to the fourth seed to the third seed and, and kind of solidifies their uh, playoff push, I'm all for it. So any other, any other comments on that? No, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there that, you know, if this was a team that was, you know, where DC United is in the standings, uh, right. a short term rental would make no sense. Um, and, you know, to, to some extent, I think some of the moves they made last year, given where they were in the standings, um, you could question whether they're the right moves, knowing they're going to you know, get rid of a coach. But uh, given the situation they're in this year, um, you know, you actually have a team that, to me, looks almost certain to, to make a run into the playoffs but is in a position where you know if you get the fifth or sixth seed and you know if you're starting right now with the revolutions roster you finish fifth and the, the standings end where you know near where they are today and you end up playing you know the red bulls on the road in a one game playoff um i don't think that's going to go very well for the Revs. so they they are a player or two away from actually being a contender but they have a good enough roster where you know a player or two could make a world of difference so um i, I do think that it, it would make every sense to to bring a guy in like pohan if you have the opportunity so we'll we'll transition too because Boya would need an international roster spot, and I'm not sure if they revs still have an international roster spot open or not. Um, but 
Regardless, uh, DC on Twitter asks us about uh, Gabriel Somi. Uh, do the Revs sell Somi to add an additional roster spot, or should we give him more time? So, first of all, who's buying Somi at this point? That's what I want to know. If you want to sell Somi or trade him for something, what are you actually getting for him? I'm not sure that there's a team out there um, that would be interested in, in paying anything for Somi right now because he hasn't you know, proven anything as an MLS player at this point. Um, I think if there's an opportunity to, to offload him, maybe you do. But at the same time, uh, I don't think there's value there. And I do think that the Revolution are in a, in a bind at left back because you know with Tierney out for the season, they don't really have um, any other option other than Dielna. So if Dielna goes down, I don't know what you do there. Maybe you force Brandon by um, into left back. But uh, I think he's lucky that you know Tierney went out, so there's still a need for him um, and every opportunity for him to prove himself again. Um, I don't think there's a trade partner out there that wants to waste an international roster spot on, you know, an overpaid left back that's not performing. Uh, so as a revolution, if an opportunity is there, you certainly think about taking it, but I I just think realistically that he's going to be on this team for the rest of the season, um, because that opportunity won't, uh, show itself in the revolution, you know, given what they're paying him and and the situation that they're in, that he's worth more to the revs than he is, you know, being traded for nothing. So I I think, I think he'll stick around. And, you know, I, I'm interested that the inter- international roster spot was mentioned because that's the only reason I could think of to why you would sell Somi for the reasons you mentioned. I don't know if there's a market for him out there and not just Claude Dielna, but if either of the center backs go down and De La Mea or any Baba, that would push Claude Dielna back to the center and then you would have to play Somi at left back or, as you say, go to Bai, go to Kellen Rowe, which I don't think you really want to do at this point. Um, so I, I think you're right on Somi. I know we're not big Somi guys, um, but... You know, uh, we've only seen him for half a season, uh, and he was touted so highly coming in. If there's a situation where he's forced to play, hope you know it's one of those things where hopefully he kind of turns it around, and, and yeah, maybe some more time we'll we'll see a little bit of improvement. Um, I, I still think his natural possession position is left wing or, or left midfield, um, and he can give you some speed down the wings. I, I, I'm not really a big fan of his defending. So, um, you know, but maybe maybe he turns it around um, if he, he gets some minutes. Uh, and, and with that being said, you're, you hit the nail on the head that the we talked about the revs being buyers and not sellers. You know, it, in a situation where you'd sell Somi, it's because you don't have a uh, playoff spot. You look like you're, you're going to miss the playoffs and you're, you're kind of selling off whatever you can and ga- gaining whatever you could to, to trade Somi for a draft pick or, you know, just for salary relief. You know, the revolution are, are among the bottom feeders in uh, salary. Uh, I, I don't think that his salary is really killing them in any way. Uh, so I, I don't see much of a need to move Somi just for the sake of moving him. Uh, I, I think kind of playing backup left back is uh, kind of where he's going to be suited the rest of the year. And then I, I'm sure going into next season, we might see him traded or released uh, and kind of moving on from the team if the team want to trade him i I can't see them making a a mid-season move getting rid of him i I don't actually think i was thinking about this uh before the show too i I can't think of anyone the revolution would trade away at this point i'm not sure who they would uh maybe cody cropper or you know maybe maybe someone who's outside of the 18 like femi but i I don't know what they get for someone outside of the 18 so I, i couldn't imagine them trading someone away at this point uh considering their in line for a playoff spot and it's kind of all hands on deck at this point. 
Yeah, I think if there was someone that they're going to trade away, it would be Cody Cropper, as you as you said. Um, I don't know if anyone's interested in him right now, but as a guy that you know was a, a borderline national team player potentially going right. into the season in camp and is now the third string goalkeeper, um, if an offer were to come along for Cody Cropper, uh, you know he's a guy that you consider moving. Certainly, that you know you don't need a, a third string goalkeeper with um, he's his got potential. Yeah, he's got name value, and I, I don't think he's at a high salary number. Uh, compared to Somi, where Somi's at a high salary number, and I think he's a relative unknown. And what teams have seen of him, it, most of it has not been positive. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, now I would say things change if you got an, an Bojan. Then I think Namath, who we heard earlier in the season was expendable, I think he becomes expendable again. If you actually did go and make that move, you know that would certainly change everything, and, and you'd look to to make more trades uh, at that point. Um, but you know, I, I did want to touch back on the the international roster spot question because it's a good one. I'm trying to figure out what exactly the Revs have at this point, and I think they have one open spot. Because, and, and correct me if, if you're thinking of anybody else that I'm missing, but I, I, they they traded away a spot um, to get Namath to get that spot, and they you know when they, when they were trying to get Namath from the crew, um, so that that brought them down to seven spots. And then I think there's six players now that take international spots, which would be uh, Casado, Dielna, Namath. Pania, Somi, and Zahibo. And I don't think there's anyone else unless I'm missing somebody. So I believe that leaves them with, with just one open spot. Um, which, again, you know, in the summer, it's perfectly plausible that you, you know, might end up signing, um, you know, more than, you know, more than one international guy. We've seen them do that in the past, in which case, yeah, you would need to own up a spot. Um, and, yeah, and, and yeah, I was I was trying to think of who else could be international, but uh, Nicholas Samoya, the uh, defender that they have as a rookie, also has U.S. citizenship. Um, he was born in Guatemala, uh, so he's not an international. So I think I think it is just those six right now um, that are taking up international spots. Um, so you know you don't have to move Somi to sign Bojan. You do have to move Somi if you're going to sign two international guys or or move somebody at that point. And, and maybe they are, and maybe that makes that question a lot more loaded. Um, you know, because I, I know the, the the Revs probably I think they have two DP spots open, so it makes sense if they're looking for two two DPs. Uh, and you know, a lot after the World Cup, it seems to be that uh, a lot of a lot of players that got international exposure kind of come to the MLS. Uh, I know Algeria's goalkeeper came over here for a very <laughs> failed stint uh, with the Union. Uh, I'm trying to think some other examples off the top of my head. I know uh, uh, Seattle just got the Peruvian striker uh, Rio Diaz. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that name horribly, but um, maybe th- there's another player that the Revs are in the market for, and maybe that does kind of tack on a little bit to that question about Somi that, um, you know, maybe they do need that international roster spot, in which case that is a, a really, really good reason to trade him. But um, I think he'd have to be packaged with someone else to move him throughout the league, or the Revs would have to eat a lot of that salary. Yeah, I think you'd almost assuredly have to you know send some allocation money with it to, to eat part of the salary, because um, I, I just can't imagine that given his level of play and given his salary that somebody would just take it. But then again, I actually, I'm talking out loud. They could just trade for another allocation, uh, international spot. I think that'd be a lot simpler. So that, that I might can't be more Somi being traded. Let's just say, <laughs> yeah, let's, Somi's not getting traded. I'll say that. Yeah. I, I, I'd be shocked. I just, it just doesn't make sense for, you know, any party unless there's somebody who sees something in him that, that we haven't seen. Um, but you mentioned Seattle and their new signing. Seattle's next on the Revolution schedule. I did want to jump to that. And, and um, as you mentioned, the Revolution were home this week. They're home again next week against Seattle, and they're home against Los Angeles after that. They have, you know, this is a big stretch going into it. I think we all saw this as kind of make or break for the Revolution. Um, they've been better on the road this year, but still not a great road team. 
compared to their home form. Um, after this, they have three straight road games, a home game, then another two road games. So five of their next six are on the road um, and a very road-heavy season, he- heavy schedule to end the season. Um, so I think these games are, are very important to get three points from, just like they were from D.C. Because Seattle, uh, as good as they have been in the past, are, are really struggling this year. Um, second to last in the West, I think they're getting 0.8 points per game. Um you know, right for the picking, they were up three, three to one this weekend, only to I believe, uh, who are they playing? Yeah, they're they're against Portland. Sorry, I was thinking of the other game. They're against Portland. They lost three to two to Portland. Um, the Galaxy were the team that were up three to one and ended up tying three three to San Jose. So neither of those teams are in particularly great form, but Seattle in particular right now is 11, 11 points out of the playoffs. Um, since they've entered the league, they've never missed out in the playoffs. So this is you know could be a historically bad season for them. Uh, you know, what do you see from that game uh, as the Revolution stay at home and, and face a Seattle Sounders team that, you know, is really struggling and we should also mention is on the road at Colorado on July 4th. So they'll be coming in here on very short rest and having just played at altitude. And before that, having you know lost to Portland, tied Chicago at home uh, and lost on the road to the Red Bulls. So rough form for Seattle in short rest. Yeah, you, you took my first point about them playing a Thursday game at Colorado and then having to fly across the country to, to play New England. Um, you know, normally a game against Seattle, you you know, you see Seattle Sounders, you expect a really difficult matchup. Uh, and I think the schedule really broke well for the Revolution this year where they're getting Seattle on short rest, uh, having to travel, as I say, a few days before. Um, I, I think this is plays favorably for the revs. Um, and you know, Seattle is really, really missing Jordan Morris this year. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, they still have a lot of good weapons on their team with Nicholas Ladero, uh, and, uh, Clint Dempsey is still kicking around there. Uh, but overall really, really disappointing season for them. Uh, I'm going to predict a three, one revolution win. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some lineup changes next week. I wouldn't be surprised to see Juan Agadello, uh, starting over Christian Namath. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Scott Caldwell uh, starting for uh, Zahibo. Um, I, I think that, uh, as we alluded to at the beginning of the uh, podcast, that uh, Friedel's kind of getting kind of tired of the kind of heavy legs and, and kind of low energy. And uh, I could see some changes being made to kind of sp- spark a flame uh, to, to get some uh, get, get the players moving, I'll say. Because uh, <laughs> I'm sure next week is going to be just as hot. Yeah, and this is one of those classic games where – you know, the revolution going as the favorite and I could see being a trap. But with that said, the Sounders team, they've scored 13 goals in 15 games this year. There's no other team in MLS that has less than a goal per game. Um, I think the the next worst team um, has scored 19 goals this season. So they've just been incredibly bad offensively. Um, like you said, missing Jordan Morris a lot. You know, Dempsey's certainly age is, is catching up to him, I would say, at this point in his career. Um, I don't think their new signing is going to be available for, for this match. Um, certainly, uh, he, you know, he could make a big difference. Uh, Ladero, again, always a dangerous player. He's been struggling with injuries this year. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think the Revolution are going to go out here and, and get a, a comfortable victory. They need it. Um, they need to show their defense is capable of getting a shutout. I think they'll do it this game. And I'm actually going to go with a 2 nothing uh, Revolution win, also a two-goal win, but with, with the shutout here um, against Seattle. Uh, and then again, Revolution can can take that into a game against an LA Galaxy team that's starting to play a bit better as of late. But we can talk about that more next week. Um, that's one that I've had circled on my on my calendar to see uh, Ibrahimovic come to Gillette Stadium. Hopefully, he will play on the turf and, and play that game. 
Uh, but I'll go with a, a two nothing victory with the Revolution. Um, I think we'll probably see some lineup changes. I think the the halftime subs were telling. I think Rowe played well in the second half. I think he'll start this game. Um, I, I I still think Namath is you know the better option on the right for this team. So I, I don't know if we'll see that change be made, but you know maybe. Uh, but I do think Rowe ends up in the starting lineup over Zahibo to, to to start this game. Um, but I, I'm excited to see Seattle come to town despite their their struggles. They do still have a lot of talents on that on that squad. Um, but with that, did you have any uh, shout outs for this past week? I do, but I, I just want to touch base too that one more interesting subplot of the Seattle Sounders is the return of Jordan McCrary, uh, former first round pick of the New England Revolution, who never made an appearance for the Revs. Uh, he actually started last week, so there's a really really good chance we see him play for the Sounders next week. So really looking forward to seeing him finally make his uh, Foxborough debut. The, the um, one, the one thing I will say there is, I have not seen him play much for Seattle in MLS play, but I was not particularly impressed with. And again, it was a tough situation to be thrown in, but I was not particularly impressed with his play in the the Champions League for Seattle um, this year when he got thrown into that. Which uh, tough, tough situation to be put into, but I, I I'm not sure. Um, there wasn't a reason that the Revolution got rid of him and that he didn't pan out in Toronto, um, and it's perhaps not the the best sign for Seattle that they're having to play him. Uh, I can't wait for him to be man of the match next week. <laughs> Hat trick for Jordan McCurry next week, just because you just because you're a doubter. Just <laughs> that that is probably what's going to happen now. So I do what I don't know if it's a shout out, uh, but I, I have a bone to pick uh, this week, and it's actually kind of good timing with uh, the Seattle Sounders Portland Timbers game last week. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, Sean, but uh, as a Mainer, it is embarrassing downright embarrassing for the Portland Press Herald to endorse the Portland Timbers as the soccer team of Maine. You mean the Seattle Absolutely Sounders? Ridiculous. I know Seattle I know I know there's a bit of a turf war and I know Seattle is, you know, made their video, but there's actually Portland Timbers watch parties in Maine and I'm all for the growth of soccer, but it is I I am you know, not a lot comes out of Maine. That's, you know, and, and what it does, it's always something like this where, you know, it's, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I'm just very discouraged that uh, my homeland, the motherland, is uh, kind of turning heel and is, uh, you know, choosing the timbers over the revolution. So uh, if there's any Mainers that are listening to this, uh, just encourage your friends to root for the good guys. Yeah, I, I actually missed that the Portland Press Herald was endorsing the Timbers essentially. Yeah, um, even, I missed that one. I, I saw the Seattle all over Twitter. Yeah, I, I, all over Twitter. I somehow missed that because I saw the Seattle thing that they were doing to try to you know pump up Portland, Maine, and and, and trash Portland, Oregon. And I actually thought the the, the thing the Seattle Sounders did was pretty well done and, they, and pretty funny. They have, if you timber, seen it. they have they have watch parties at Reros. I don't think there's a Revolution watch party in Portland. That that's just weird i this is sad but just... the, the the only thing i'll add to that too though is that the it was a good idea for the revolution to do their own video kind of counteracting seattle's video but i i must say seattle's video was a, a bit better done than the revolutions um so good idea the execution maybe not as good as uh what seattle did what the what the revolution need to do is they need to get anna kendrick which is one of the very few famous people from maine to come out and endorse the revolution because everyone loves anna kendrick that would be an excellent plan. They should, they should work saying, on that. I don't, be, I don't know why nobody's thought of that one yet. Best acquisition <laughs> of the summer for Rebs. Dan uh, Kendrick, one, Bojan, two. I don't really have a shout-out myself here, but I, the, I did just want to talk about, uh, first of all, how exciting this World Cup has been because I must admit as you know, someone that's always super excited to see the U.S. in the World Cup, I was 
not as excited for the World Cup this year without them in it. But uh, to me, the group stages as a neutral were the most exciting group stages I ever recall seeing. Um, some fantastic games, lots of drama. I mean, a few exceptions that uh, that France, I believe, France Denmark game towards the end was was horrible. But you know, otherwise, it was to me a very exciting World Cup. And the knockout stages have already been extremely exciting. The, the French Argentina four three game, um, and then the two games today going to penalty kicks. Uh, no shortage of, excite- of excitement for uh, soccer fans this summer. So uh, I'm excited to continue to watch a, a, what's been a very good World Cup. Um, I had my doubts about how well Russia would do hosting it, but it's you know the, the play on the field has been uh, nothing short of, of phenomenal and super exciting. So um, you know exciting games coming up the rest of the week. Make sure you don't miss them. Uh, I'm I'm excited for England Colombia. You you might not hear this show before you watch Brazil Mexico or Belgium Japan, but no, no shortage of big games in France Uruguay now in the quarterfinals um, will be an exciting one. Uh, so lots of good soccer to look forward to this summer. Um, one one other shout out I have is I like what Fox has done. Uh, which is showing some MLS games shortly after World Cup games. I forget which match it was, but there was one game that had over a million viewers. Um, I think they you know, kept something like 25% of the viewers from the World Cup. So and it was you know, one of the most watched MLS games ever. Uh, so it, it's great to see Fox do that and help promote MLS by you know, showing the games after the World Cup as well. Um, but with that... Uh, again, the Revolution at home again next weekend on July 7th versus the Seattle Sounders. Um, Seattle really struggling, so that should be an opportunity for the Revolution to pick up three points. And we'll be back again next week. Greg, thanks for joining us. And At Revolution uh, Recap. Make sure you follow us at Revolution Recap, and you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Uh, and Greg, can you give your Twitter handle too? I know you don't talk about soccer as much, but in case anyone wants to follow you there. Yeah, if there's any manners that want to tweet angry tweets at me, I'm uh, at gjohnstone12. You, you can... Uh, talk about together how upset you are about portland supporting the timbers rather than the revolution and figure that one get out. it together get it together <laughs> Press Herald. come on uh, thanks again for listening to us everybody